Welcome to AQR's The Curious Investor. I'm Dan Villalon. And I'm Gabe Figali. On this show, we break down some of the most important ideas in finance to help us make better investment decisions. Today, we focus on three letters, E-S-G, the consideration of environmental, social, and governance issues when investing. Investors have pretty different views on ESG, ranging from full support and integration to totally shunning it. So to understand where these views come from and better define ESG, we turn to some experts who all approach it from a different perspective. To start, one of our colleagues. My name is Lukas Pomorski. I'm a managing director at AQR's global stock selection team. Next up, one of the preeminent academics in sustainable investing. I'm Professor George Serafim. I teach at Harvard Business School. And last, the head of a global network of ESG investors. I'm Fiona Reynolds. I'm the CEO of the Principles for Responsible Investment. Welcome to our episode on ESG. The good, the bad, and the fuzzy. I think it's safe to say that most people want to do good in the world. Nobody's out there hoping for major oil spills, abusive work practices, or corrupt management. But our question for this episode is whether doing good is good, bad, or neutral for an investor's portfolio. In the 1970s, the economist Milton Friedman argued that the only responsibility of business was to maximize profits. He'd probably say something like, why bother even looking at environmental, social, and governance issues? If your objective as an investor is to outperform, ESG is just a big distraction. But we know today there are lots of investors who make decisions based on ESG concerns, and they have different objectives and different ways of doing it. Here's Lukasz Pomorski, a researcher who's also an AQR's ESG committee. The most obvious example would be, you know, a church foundation, for example, that is not willing to hold any what is usually termed sin stocks, for example, tobacco producers or gun manufacturers. And you've had investors like that for decades. This is called negative screening. It's a technique that many investors use to build more ethically oriented portfolios. And by screening out sin stocks, investors think they can even punish ESG offenders. The rationale being, if there are fewer people willing to invest in a sin stock, its price should drop. However... Professor George Serafim tells us this might lead to an unintended consequence. If the price of a SIN stock falls, then that stock might start to look like a good buy to other investors. What happens is that basically the valuation multiples start looking like a value stock. If enough people put pressure on the price of the stock, uh, then the cash flow or the earnings to price ratio increases. There are a lot of value investors out there who would be happy to buy any cheap stock. So talk about an unintended consequence for negative screening. Actually, it could get even worse because what you're doing is you're making those companies very attractive for private equity firms. And once that happens, you lose transparency and you lose your ability to actually engage with those companies because you lose your voting rights. So you could actually create very perverse incentives there. So for an investor... Are negative screens good, bad, or a wash? George says this is where a lot of the confusion about ESG comes from. Some people will say that negative screen, for example, excluding, uh, let's say, coal companies, was a pretty good thing. 
right? For many people over the last 10 years and so forth. Of course, some other people will say, well, excluding tobacco companies, for example, uh, over the past 40 years wasn't a good thing because they did well. And if you do negative screening, independent of any economic analysis, then effectively you're just a coin toss. In fact, negative screens may actually hurt your portfolio because it means fewer stocks to pick from. Lukash again. Suppose that you look at the S&P 500 and you do an in-depth analysis of all those 500 stocks, but you end up saying, but hey, those 50 stocks are fantastic. You know, those 50 stocks at the bottom are really, really bad. But if I come in and say that, oh, I will actually prune your universe. I will take 50 of the 500 stocks out of your investment universe. Chances are that at least a few of those stocks would be stocks that you were actually very bullish on. And if I do this, then you're fishing in a much smaller pond. Now, to be clear, Lukash isn't dissuading anyone from fulfilling an ethical obligation through negative screens. And in fact, AQR has helped investors efficiently implement negative screens for years. But there is a way to address ESG that George says could potentially help a portfolio's expected risk in return. He calls this ESG integration. ESG integration is just uh, much more about including the underlying ESG data in a business analysis and valuation framework. So, for example, when you are analyzing, let's say, Ford and General Motors, uh, then you're looking at ESG data, for example, about their efforts to electrify their product portfolio and their vehicles lineup. And you're saying which one is actually doing better at being competitive in the marketplace in an environment where sales will accelerate. ESG metrics can actually represent information that isn't properly priced into a security. Remember we covered factors in an earlier episode? Well, some investors use ESG-based ideas in the same way, to build views on securities. And Lukash says it's not just ESG investors who might want to pay attention to ESG ideas. It's any investor. Maybe my favorite example here would be companies that are overly aggressive in how they, let's say, account for earnings. Companies that are pushing the envelope on level of profits they report to their shareholders or what level of growth in profits in cash flows they are willing to estimate or assume in the capital budgeting, for example. Arguably, companies that are more conservative are almost by definition less likely to disappoint. Preferring companies with quality earnings or where management acts responsibly. That falls under the G of ESG, so governance. And there's definitely some economic rationale here. No investor wants irresponsible management. But when it comes to the full suite of ESG, what does the data say? The empirical evidence to support ESG integration is mixed. Some papers show it works and others show it doesn't. But most of that research is focused on returns. Lukash, on the other hand, thinks a lot about ESG and risk. Lukash and his co-authors, Jeff Dunn and Sean Fitzgibbons, wrote a paper called Assessing Risk Through Environmental, Social, and Governance Exposures. And the big takeaway is that the stocks that score poorly on ESG metrics may actually be riskier. Environmental is maybe the most obvious. And nowadays, you do see this a lot in the press, for example. Companies that produce a lot of carbon arguably are exposed to the risk of uh, carbon regulation, let's say. Uh, attacks on carbon. 
well, I view this as a risk in a way that I don't have a good reason to expect a carbon tax, for example, to come tomorrow or next year or in five years. It is a risk because if it does come, companies that produce a lot of carbons would be very badly affected. Although ESG may sound appealing to many investors, it's still a bit of a niche approach. George and his colleague, Amir Amelzadeh, wanted to understand why. So they ran a survey. And this wasn't a small study. They surveyed about 400 organizations responsible for almost $30 trillion under management. This included both asset managers and asset owners. One question was about the biggest impediments to ESG integration. Most of the people said lack of comparability of the data across firms because you're still uh, in this stage where you don't have accounting standards, right? Where you don't have the whole market infrastructure to get the reliable, timely, relevant, comparable data that the financial accounting infrastructure is getting you. George isn't alone in the fight for better ESG data. The UN is also getting involved. Here's Fiona Reynolds, the head of the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment or the UNPRI. And it's something that we're working on. We've been bringing a lot of the corporate data organisations together to say, hey, we know you're doing all of this great stuff, but we've still got this gap and we need to do more about getting good information. The UNPRI was started in 2005 to extend the UN's efforts to a new group of stakeholders. It was really formed out of the United Nations, where there was a lot of work done around sustainability issues. And a lot of work was being done with companies, banks, governments, etc., to think about sustainability issues. But the missing piece was really investors. And as we all know, you can talk about sustainability issues all you like, but there needs to be investment. And a little more than a decade later, the UNPRI has made a lot of headway in addressing that missing piece. We have just about 2,000 signatories across the globe who represent nearly 80 trillion in assets under management. The PRI is really the global hub of responsible investment. And what we're all about is trying to get investors to consider and to implement responsible investment, ESG factors across their portfolios. So far, we've talked mostly about stocks, but many PRI signatories look at ESG across their whole portfolio. In assets like fixed income, private equity, hedge funds, real assets. So the definitions of what E, S, and G mean can get a little fuzzy. Well, I'd say with the whole language of E, S, and G, I actually find it really unhelpful. And in many ways, I wish we did not have that language because what ends up happening is that people really silo issues into an environmental issue, a social issue or a governance issue. And that means there's still a lot of work left to do when it comes to research and best practices for socially responsible investing. When it comes to ESG, there's only one way the UNPRI will say mission accomplished. Our aim at the end of the day is that we never have to talk about responsible investment. We never have to use all of these acronyms ever again. That we can just talk about investment and we know that it's done in a responsible way that considers long-term factors and considers ESG factors as a matter of course.
So, is ESG good or bad for your portfolio? Well, it depends on how you use it. Negative screens mean you can avoid unwanted stocks altogether, but that might be detrimental to expected returns. Lukash says integrating ESG as part of your process can be a better way to go. If you start with a premise that some of the information on ESG may reflect material facts about the underlying corporation, then you may want to treat that information, that data, on par with other investment ideas, investment signals. And let's be clear. Finding an ESG factor that is grounded in economic intuition and that is supported by empirical evidence is not easy. But it's a challenge many investors and academics have taken on. One more time, George Serafim. We are moving towards a low-carbon economy, for example. Consumer preferences are changing. Uh, healthier lifestyle choices. The transportation system is actually changing. Automobiles, electrification. ESG is a way for an investor to understand which management teams are positioning a business to be competitive and successful in that future. For folks who want to read more about ESG investing, check out the papers we've posted on the Curious Investor page at aqr.com curious. And if you're feeling particularly virtuous after all this ESG talk, you can also email us at curious at aqr.com. Next week on The Curious Investor, we look at two ways of investing, quant and fundamental, what they are, where they differ, and where they might be more similar than you might expect. He turned to the head of Quant at the time and said, hey, we just added that to our portfolio. I'm dying to know what you guys think of it. Are you over or underweight? And the head of Quant looked at him and said, I don't know. And the, the non-Quant looked at him, of course, like he's from Mars or Venus. I'm Dan Villalon. And I'm Gabe Figali. Thanks for listening, folks. The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of AQR itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, and it should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. AQR does not assume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of AQR as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of the information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including any direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018, AQR Capital Management, LLC, all rights reserved. You know, in reimagining capitalism this year, yeah. I had uh, 200 students. What? 100 students in each section. Uh, and I have to say, I remember all of them. That's crazy. I remember all of them. So yeah. when you miss a class, you remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.